It's a bonus episode. Yay! It's a bonus episode. Well, <laughs> I'm excited about it. Uh, we had such a great time talking to Sean Cullen last week that I, j- I just couldn't cut the interview down to fit into one podcast. So I ended up breaking it into two. And I told Scott and Gina, I said, you know what? Let's let's just run it as a bonus episode. We'll do two episodes in a row, two podcasts in a row, two Mondays in a row, and then we'll get back to our regular schedule on February 3rd with my big interview with Adam Ziglis, the editorial cartoonist for the Buffalo News, who, frankly, I think is just brilliant. Uh, But to get back to Sean Cullen, here's the second half of the interview with him when the two of us sat down after the debacle of trying to record something for the live podcast the day all of you were there on the 12th. And something went uh, totally haywire in how I was trying to record. It's a long story. And you're about to hear another long story because I asked Sean Cullen about what I think is a fabulous idea. Um, After 9-11, there was a a proposition to put an American National Theater at Ground Zero. And the American National Theater would have increased the profile for regional theaters all over the country because they would have been brought to New York with their original casts and design group to perform in New York City. It would have been a really special opportunity. So Sean was behind it all. It was his idea, I believe, and um, it didn't quite happen. I don't know if it's completely dead yet, but it is an interesting story as to what the heck went on during that whole process. And he drops names galore, everything from, you know, Sondheim to Streep. They're all here in this story. And I also introduce a new feature that I'm going to be uh, incorporating into all future podcasts, and that's the off-road question. And the off-road question is, if you had taken a different road, if you had gone down a different road, a road not taken, if you were off the road, in this case of theater, what would you be doing now? What are your interests? What are the things that fascinate you and might have taken you on a different road rather than the one you're on right now? So I hope you enjoy that. And Sean also does a little talking about his interest in uh, returning to directing, uh, based on a question asked by Kyle Leconti, a Road Less Traveled Ensemble member and uh, probably one of the best directors I've worked for in Buffalo. So here's part two of the Sean Cullen interview here on Off-Road, the Road Less Traveled Productions podcast. Okay, I've got like three more questions because we're we're up to like 56 minutes now and I'm going to cut this way back. Yeah, yeah. Mostly me. But uh, I I do want to ask you the question that Kyle asked, which is, um, do you have any... do you who, wanna, who was Kyle, by the way? Kyle, she's a director, Kyle Lacanti, mm-hmm. and she's a director in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, she directed uh, uh, Mockingbird at, at the Kavanaugh. Oh, she did? Yes. For Scott? She was here last night. Uh, and you, did you play Atticus? No, 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 no. I played uh, the judge, Judge uh, John Taylor. Uh-huh. 
Uh, had a great time with it. It was a beautiful production. Uh, it was, you know, we did the Broadway script because of a long story. But uh, but anyway, she's a local director, and uh, she asked you, do you have an inkling that you'd like to do more directing or go back to directing at some point? Yeah, uh, uh, what I answered to Kyle and uh, I'll say now is that, you know, I, I, you know, as many, many of us do, I have a lot of different ideas about different projects. And but I, I don't at this moment have any desire to direct um, largely because who was it David Marciniak? He, said, he was talking about somebody in town who directs. David said that they're so kind of indirect and they're so kind of uh, imprecise in their direction that they tend to be, and they, and they don't want to offend the other person, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they tend to give direction in such a way that it really puts the actors off, you know? Yes. And uh, there's something to that. I, 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 my personality works very well for acting, but I, I, I wouldn't want to get in the way that was one of the things you said yeah. on Sunday. That yeah. one, stay out of the actor's way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, when I have directed in the past, I feel like I've been re- really, generally, really helpful to actors. And I did direct twice at at Yale and uh, in school in the cabaret, and I did direct uh, uh, a few times in summer stock when I first got out of school. I remember I did a, a, a fellow on Martha's Vineyard had written a short play. And he asked me to direct it. I was doing Lend Me a Tenor at the time. This was in 1991. And just a two-hand of this little romance. We did it downstairs at the Vineyard Playhouse in Vineyard Haven. And we worked on the play for about three weeks. And then we did it just for, like, an invited group. I can't remember if we did it in the evening or we did it maybe twice. And it was beautiful. They were really terrific. Mm-hmm. And I helped. And I just I liked what I did. It was really simple. And I thought... You know, that made sense that I was trying to get into grad school, you know, back when. And and then the following summer, I ended up directing Fire... Oh, before that, I've directed Lettuce and Lovage twice. Really? And on a nine-day rehearsal schedule. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I know that that's fairly common out in the professional world. Yeah, and in stock, too. Tough. I directed it... Uh, first, I directed it in Pennsylvania, in Jennerstown, Pennsylvania, at the... Um, Mountain Playhouse with lovely people there. But I suppose if you have two ladies who are really, you know, you trust and they're solid. Yes. You can. I, I didn't cast uh, in either case, but I did know, I did know, I knew both of the lettuces uh, and, and they didn't know their, they didn't know their lines. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you, and the way I'd always worked was to try different things, and you—you you can't try you different can't things. Try different things. Your hand. No. And the pressure that I—and the pressure that the women felt playing lettuce, you know, was really unfair to them. And it was just—I don't know why I said yes the second time on the same schedule. The woman who played it the second time, the lovely woman Eileen Wilson, who ran the Vineyard Playhouse at the time, she, Eileen was in her seventies at the time, and she didn't know—and she's running the theater at the same time oh, dear. on a shoestring at that point and uh yeah neither one were terribly successful so that's kind of how i backed out to uh, uh of directing back in like 1992 or 93 and the other question i wanted to ask you because i want to give you a chance this time to talk about the american national theater oh yeah uh, uh, uh shortly after 9 11 well two years after when they were planning what was to happen at the site 
right. it, when they built the, the new whatever it was going to be, mm-hmm. uh, a proposal was set forth for an American National Theater. Yeah. Take it. <laughs> Thank you. So, so yeah, so uh, in the aftermath of September 11th, uh, you know, um, we were in Massachusetts. I was in Boston doing James Joyce's The Dead that I'd done on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And now I was uh, in this, Richard Nelson was directing us and I was playing Christopher Walken's role and... Uh, many of us who had covered the Broadway show were now in the roles, and that's so. That's where I, that's where I happened to be on uh, that morning, and uh, and to be doing uh, you know James Joyce of the Dead. Um, people familiar with the play? Fantastic, uh, beautiful piece. Beautiful piece, and we uh, actually had our first preview the on September twelfth. I remember Michael Masso, who was the managing director at the theater in Boston at the Huntington. He wrote us all an email and said that we were just going to go ahead and do it for different reasons. And and even though the play had been done on Playwrights Horizons up to that point, it had been done on Broadway at that point, it had been done at the Amundsen in L.A. at that point, in the Kennedy Center, and now this was a new production. Like doing the play for the people in Boston, that those first several weeks after wow. was really yeah. something. I'll bet. But uh, so anyway, so uh, and then over the uh, and I had worked at maybe fifteen regional theaters by that point and um, around the country, and I had this idea that was taping taking shape in my head of bringing to New York the best new American plays and musicals from theaters across the United States nonprofits with their original companies and creative teams. As a matter of fact, I used to, when I was pitching it in New York subsequently, I used to say, I'm from Buffalo. And if Studio Arena, because it was still happening, if Studio Arena were, bring, were to bring one of its new, product, new play productions to New York, I said what that would do for that theater and their fundraising and the board, mm-hmm. and even the city in that case, to yes. have a theater, to have a Studio Arena show, I said that would just be... That would just do create all kinds of opportunities for. Uh, and there are theaters all over the country, in the similar situation. Yes. So your idea was that uh, adjudicators would go out and they would see plays That's all right. over the country, and then yeah. they would pick We'd, one they, or two or whatever, yeah. and, and bring do a them back to New York. Ultimately, we had the idea. And as a matter of fact, you know, just being in this company, you know, you, you think of the the major regional theaters around the country that still exist: the Goodman in Chicago, the Old Globe in San Diego. You know, Seattle Rep. You know, there's there's 70 or 80 Lord theaters. Well, there are smaller theaters too, all across the United States. There are there are smaller theaters here in Buffalo, including this one, yes. with this cast. And now this isn't a new play because it's maybe the fourth or fifth production it's ever had, maybe in the world. I don't know. Uh, but like these actors are really, really, really good, and and Scott is directed it just beautifully, mm-hmm. and. And were it to be a world premiere, like a minute, so I can't tell 100%, but it's really good. It's very high quality. So, and imagine, you know, multiply this times, you know, go around the United States to, you know, Little Rock, Arkansas. There has to be brilliant work taking place everywhere. Yes. And to bring it to New York, just the esteem that would take place because of that, to be chosen for that, but also the fact that when you're in New York as a visitor, as a tourist, and you've got cats, <laughs> and yes. you've got Les Mis, and then you have a selection of of new plays that have been already have been deemed 
worthy yes. of being transferred to New York. I just, I'm, yeah. I, I'm taking you, you know, words away from you because it, the whole idea impressed me so much. Oh, thank but you. What happened? Well, there are so many, and also too, just you know, in case uh, anybody from New York is, uh, ever listens to this, you know, there's uh, all the shows that you mentioned and the new musicals and all the nonprofits, you know, Manhattan Theater Club and mm-hmm. the Roundabout and Manhattan Class Company and Primary Stages and Lincoln Center and uh, Public, just to name six or seven. Like they're doing really great work sure. too in the nonprofit. I was just naming the ones that uh, that you get. Oh, the tourist people would see. Exactly. Yeah, the yeah, public- yeah. The, the ones yeah. that are pu- so big, publicity. Yes. So that promotions and, and the brand is, uh, you know, the brand <clears throat> to have the uh, imprimatur, imprimatur of uh, of the American National Theater, that that name, uh, and the opportunities, as I said before, that it would create. You know, imagine if a show from Road Less Traveled were to go to the American oh, National it was, Theater, it would just be, be, you know. I mean, people... A million dollars worth of just promotional publicity. Exactly. Uh, you know, n- not only nationally and perhaps internationally. Yes. Uh, because hopefully the American National Theater would be an international destination mm-hmm. point, but also locally here. I mean, people, and for the playwright. And for the playwright. It's, and it, for the it, director. It just goes on and on for the and on. For the actors, if mm-hmm. you know. The designers, everybody. Everybody, right? So uh, anyway, so they, uh, I had the... Uh, idea i think around 1997 or 98 and in 2002 i i got an invitation uh, to attend a symposium in new york and the subject of which was the american national theater that the actors center mm-hmm. had put out a fellow named michael miller and i was in houston doing a play uh richard nelson play coincidentally that was going to come into new york and uh that they knew was coming to new york right away so i got in touch with michael when i came to new york and i said I asked him if the symposium had happened because there was something about the date. And uh, I invited him to the play, and I ended up going to Michael's office and having a couple coffee mugs full of wine, I remember, back when I was still drinking coffee cups of, of wine. <laughs> and uh, he liked the idea, but, you know, it wasn't not that much, and he was trying to put stars on the, uh, you know, everything's about stars. And yeah. uh, he had a, a Marsha Gay Harden and Richard Dreyfus and Steven Spinella and Ozzie Davis. And, uh, you know, he had like 14 or 15 people who were very well known in the uh, theater community in New York and film and television. And they were going to be the, the, the people who talk about it. Mm-hmm. I had, so, but based on that meeting, I started to write a, a speech. And I started calling people that I, the NISCA, and I started calling these people and, you know, and, and just finding out how people felt about it and what about the opportunities. And I ended up making a speech. They lost somebody or something the night before. And I sat for two hours in the audience with, I remember I wrote the speech and I put it in an U.S. priority envelope, which I often use for a folder. Sorry, USPS. And I was listening to all this conversation about the National Theater and it was all over the place. And I remember one of the actors had said, oh, we don't need a national theater. You know, we have one with the actors in Hollywood or something. And in the meantime, the speech is literally bubbling up beneath me. Uh, and finally, I went last. Uh, our group went last. I don't know if Marsha Gay Harden was on at the end with us or not, but uh, I was the second last of the day. And I gave this 10-minute speech, and I said, we should have an American national theater. And it should be just what you and I have been talking about big discussion about that afterwards like the biggest discussion of the day because it was an actual idea that had been presented mm-hmm. you know because just nobody was really didn't have a passion for it or you know that as I had and then after it was over 
I, many people I knew there, but, you know, people were coming up and giving me their business cards and there was general excitement in the, in the room. And I remember as I was going, uh, down the stairs, it was on 42nd street at the Duke theater complex. And, uh, Kathy Chalfont, who I later became friends with was, as I'm walking down the stairs, she's standing there on the, uh, on the floor above and she said and she was just I love your idea and you know and I went out to I went back to I went to California for pilot season the next day and I started writing with my friend Gwen Toma a proposal for the establishment of the American National Theater at Ground Zero wow. and um, gives me chills just to think about it yeah that's, really that's good. And uh, and we just, you know, she was in Heightstown, New Jersey, and I was in uh, Sherman Oaks, California, and we would write over the phone, word for word, and we ended up writing. And then I was calling all these people, as Scott has, you know, getting all these Lord people, all these advisors on my panel trying to substantiate. I ended up having a phone conversation with uh, Arthur Miller. Oh, my Lord. I didn't mention this to you before. No. But m- Mr. Miller and I are on the phone, on my cell phone in 2003, and we talked for five minutes on the phone, and uh, he, he, I don't know, you know, because I knew enough people then to try and network, and I've always been pretty good at, like, you know, no, ma- no matter when I've produced an Ibsen play that I mentioned before, like, I've just been, it's exhausting, but I'm, I've been good at that sort of thing. And, and lo and behold, and this is something I didn't tell you before, but in 2005, cutting ahead, we threw an event called the American National Theater Founder Celebration, and Mr. Miller... I went to his memorial that afternoon. It was May 9th. It was wow. my birthday. But Mr. Miller, um, his estate, he'd been dead, I think, a month or so. Then it was 2005. They gave us permission to name, to call our, the award the American National Theater Arthur Miller Founders Award. Wow. And we presented it to August Wilson. Oh, my Lord. On stage at Dodger Stages, and we had 350 people in the audience that night. <sighs> and Jim Naughton was the uh, MC, and Tova Felcher was there, and all these people you'd wreck. Kathy Curtin from Orange is the New Black, and Carolyn McCormick, who's from Law and Order, and Melissa Leo, who's won the Academy Award, was there. They were all doing monologues and scenes from, from theater pieces all over the United States that a fellow named Randy Myler had collected for us. Wow. And... That was the central entertainment of the thing. And then at the end of it, Felicia Rashad presented Mr. Wilson with the award, and this is on tape. Uh, and Mr. Wilson just gave this beautiful speech. And I believe that it was the last, if not the last speech, it was the last award that he was ever given in his lifetime. And uh, so that was one of the highlights in, uh, in 2005. But before that, in 2003, now Gwen and I are in, New Jersey and California writing this thing going back and forth and we used to joke that we're writing the Constitution of the United States because uh, you know we thought, we thought of every you know we thought as much as we could of everything the every structure the board the thing yeah, yeah. what the theater would look like we ended up having funding did you, did you we, include we how talked much you about thought fund, yeah. yeah we didn't do we didn't do a budget because <clears> I because I I, 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 I I thought it would be on the order of what Lincoln Center was at that time which was about 26 28 million dollars but what did millions, I know right sure. yeah so uh and then a fellow uh, that I, uh, a fellow who uh, named Chris Klein and his wife Rosemary, I'd been in class with her. Chris knew somebody at Port Authority in New York, who's who knew somebody whose son was in the theater, who also worked for Port Authority, and he set up a meeting with us, with Daniel Liebeskind, the World Trade Center site planner, planner. Three months after 
I had just given that little speech on 42nd Street while I was in California. I came back to New York in, May, in early May of 2003. We had the meeting. Gregory Mosier, who used to run uh, The Good Moon, who used to run Lincoln Center, was there. Theater designers, uh, theater planners, uh, nonprofit people. We had 16 people by that time that we had gathered to bring into the meeting with Mr. Liebeskin. And I had in my hand during the course of Mr. I'm sitting at the I'm sitting at the head of the conference table, just you know where I sit at the at the um, at, and Daniel Liebeskin was sitting next to me. Wow. And we just presented this idea. And Liebeskin, Mr. Liebeskin gave his famous Liebeskin smile. And and then Hal Prince, uh, because I had done uh, his his son Charlie, who was the musical director of James Joyce of the Dead, through, I subsequently met with Mr. Prince twice, I think. But he wrote a letter because he couldn't come. I asked him if he could come. And I said, and we were just about to go, and I said, man, I'd like to read this letter if I could. And, and I... And, and Mr. Prince wrote three or four paragraphs that were great. And at the end, I said, whatever was written, sincerely, Harold Prince. Wow. And Harold Prince. <laughs> so so that, with that, you know, so we, as I said to you before, we went, we were so excited. Ms. Contini gave us very good feedback. She said, well, it's a good idea, and good ideas always went out. There was a beautiful, great little bar downstairs, literally in the same building. And we went down and celebrated, and I remember I, I had a, a happy little... Happy little uh, three, two or three glasses of beer, you know. <laughs> it was a celebration. And uh, my friend Gwen had given me this hat that she'd custom made that said uh, was had a flag on the front and it had American National Theater on the back that she'd had stitched. And we went over the World Trade Center site. And so, uh, long and short is that back, this is back in 2003. So we had the meeting. Then the New York Times picked up, and we had a wonderful publicist. And I got a phone call from. Uh, Robin Pogrebin called like a half hour later and she said, I just have a few follow-up questions for you. And she asked me the questions. Uh, and by that time, I had an endorsement from Meryl Streep. I had, uh, uh, you know, an endorsement from Jack O'Brien who directed Hairspray and all these other shows on Broadway. Full Monty, he ran the Old Globe for 35 years. I mean, just like, and, and other people, Blair Brown, Mr. Prince, Mr. Miller. And so she asked me these follow-up questions and at the end of that, I said, so what's what do you, what's what's going on? What Where do, you, do we stand? Yeah, and she said, all I can say is you better not be lying to me. She said, and then that night at nine o'clock, did Joe call? Maybe my maybe Gwen, who was just the key person with me on this the project through a lot of it in the beginning. Um, there was this article in the New York Times on the website. It was incredible. Yeah. I think it was September 9th or something. You know, it's the kind of thing that sticks in your mind, uh, the date. And uh, <clears throat> so, uh, and then uh, the next day it was in the, in the, in the newspaper. It, you know, it wasn't just online the night before. And uh, I thought we were going to be, because at that point they were talking about city opera, which I don't even know if city opera exists anymore. They had some financial problems. They were talking about the Joyce Theater, the dance theater. Mm -hmm. They were talking about uh, about uh, oh, Signature Theater Company, which at that point was only doing one playwright a year. Now they're just huge in New York on 42nd Street. And, uh, and us, and lo and behold, the whole piece was about... Uh, so there in the newspaper was Mr. Prince's photo and Blair Brown's photo, and I'd met Blair through James Joyce of the Dead, and uh, Mr. Miller and uh, in my photograph, and then, and that was all in the right column of the arts section, 
you know, which is if you if you know new journalism or newspapers, like that's the that's mm-hmm. the place to be if you know. Uh, and and then continued on whatever the page was five or something, and there above the fold everything above the fold, including including Mr. Liebeskin's rendering of the Art Center. Oh, it was my part Lord. of the piece. It was uh, so a lot of things happened uh, out of that, including the Richard Olcott, who was the uh, I don't know if he was the lead architect on the Clinton Library in Little Rock, but. Uh, I'd been in touch with a with a theater planner named uh, I can't remember Friedlander Steve Friedlander maybe Steve Richard Olcott got in touch with Steve and 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 two months later we had a plastic model of the American National Theater oh. building I've got in my in my basement I've got the uh, Polshek did renderings of the thing mm-hmm. and it's three 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 theaters stacked up on top of each other adjacent to the Freedom Tower. Uh, we presented the model at uh, the Odeon restaurant on, on West Broadway uh, in January. CNN was there. CBS was there. This is all things that we didn't talk about the last no, time. No, we did not. I'm glad we're getting it to him. Uh, I may break this. I, I may just break this into two podcasts because I don't. I don't want to stop hearing about this. But yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, and so and the reason why we did that was a because we could because we had the support, you know. And in the meantime, we formed a nonprofit, you know. And uh, uh, and um, but we didn't have a track record, and we didn't have somebody like Meryl Streep who was in my position or Kevin Klein or somebody at the time mm-hmm. because I still feel that to this day had one of those people or Mr. Prince or you know maybe a couple of those people gotten together and said I, I think there might be a national theater there right now um, uh, in lower Manhattan or because they're constructing the building as we speak uh, I've been down there a couple times and uh and they were still putting the steel framework up when I was there last. And, and what is their intention to put in there? Well, um, they're going to put, from what I saw about the programming, my God, this could be two podcasts. What I saw about the programming, <laughs> because there's so much, we were sued in federal court in 2007. Sued um, over the name American National Theater? It goes back to, uh, in 1936 or 1937, there was a uh, Congress head uh issued a charter to an organization called a congressional charter which they still do to this to this day it's i don't know maybe it goes back to you know kings and whatnot you know but you know but it's a recognition by congress of a certain organization and it was chartered uh, signed by president roosevelt to uh, establish the american national theater and academy And it's, there's a whole history there. And among other things, Anta, there was a theater that became the Virginian. It might be the, the August Wilson now, but it was the Anta Theater for a long time. Um, the American and, National Theater of? And Academy. Oh, and Academy. Yeah. Okay. And, there were, and, and they were using the Anta name for commercial Broadway productions through the, through the 50s and 60s. There were guys in, a guy in Queens who, who actually had the thing at one point maybe he was the, the the founder because i was doing research in 2003 online and all this there's a whole history to the american national theater idea mm-hmm. uh, in american you know uh, culture and uh there was a guy in queens who was more or less uh, the way i read it was more or less starting the idea the way i had you know from my apartment on 102nd street and then in california 
and uh and, but then uh, Roger Stevens you know dropping names left and right here but Roger Stevens was a very prominent Broadway producer uh there was talk about Anta being uh when Lincoln Center uh, before they built Lincoln Center, they had a theater company, I believe, that did uh, shows down in Washington Square in Lower Manhattan, and there was some talk about the National Theater. And and so, and as a matter of fact, when the Peter Sellers, there was an American National Theater in 1983-84 at the Kennedy Center, and Roger Stevens was connected. He might have been the chairman of the board. He had some high affiliation with the Kennedy Center, and he was still with ANTA, A-N-T-A. And it was Anta that brought Peter Sellers to the Kennedy Center in the early 80s for the American National Theater. And I think that lasted a season and a half, maybe two. And interestingly, you asked me what's going to be done there now. First of all, I met with a woman named Maggie Bopel, English woman. She had been the assistant to the Lord Mayor of, Eng- of London at a certain point, And she had worked for Bloomberg, I believe, when he was mayor. And now, when I say now, maybe six, seven years ago, Somehow, through all of the stuff that happened uh, culturally at the at the World Trade Center site, now Maggie Bobel, this English-born woman, was in charge of the art center, the theater center, at Ground Zero, at the World Trade Center site. So there was a woman who I knew, who, who I won't name, who was friends with Maggie Bobel, and she said, "Oh, you should meet with Maggie Bobel. Lovely, lovely lady, Miss Bobel." And I went to talk to her about the programming that was going to be done. And lo and behold, there were all these English people. <laughs> she was, you know, what, oh, for Pete's whatever, whatever capacity she was in as the, as the head of it, overseeing it at that point. Uh, I forgot the director's name, but the guy who directed uh, Billy Elliot, who's very, who I've actually met a few times. I was called back several times for Billy Elliot, the Broadway show. He was a, a key part of it. Uh, they had the the architect, the architectural firm that was designing the building, uh, or the, the theater consultancy. If not the architect for the whole building, but the theater consultant was British. She's again. I'll say this again. Maggie Bopo was a lovely person, and we had just the sweetest, great, you know, and very smart conversation. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, I said, Maggie, I'm just pitching the American National Theater to her, and I pitched it you know, as I'd been pitching at that point for 10 years or so. And she said, Sean, it's the World Trade Center. And uh, okay. so... Um, I get her point. And uh, so, but what she was talking about and what I think is still uh, on the table is something in the order of what BAM does, Brooklyn Academy of Music does in Brooklyn, where they just have various programs. World, they bring stuff. It's, some of it's American, of course, and some of it's, you know, dance, and I don't know if they'll do ballet, but music and like the, this whole thing. And then, and, I'm, and then I, we're nearly up to date. Uh, I did this play, as I mentioned, at the Berkshire Theater Festival a year ago last summer. And the fellow, one of the actors, uh, was at Yale at that time, but he was, was his, he had his beautiful summer gig in the Berkshires with us. And Devin is his name. And he knew the guy who ran Oregon Shakes. And the fellow from Oregon Shakes subsequently had been named the artistic director or producing artistic director of the theater at the World Trade Center site. So Devin gave me his email address. This, is, this, this story is... Is kind of <laughs> so I wrote to him 
And he sent me this beautiful little note back. I introduced myself. I mentioned yeah. Devin. I mentioned that I was writing about the American National Theater. And he wrote back to me and he said, Sean, it's so interesting that you're writing me about this because I was Peter Sellers' associate artistic director in Washington when the theater was there. Huh. And I was like, wonderful. He said, I'm going to be in New York several times now, you know, in the fall. I think this was last, this was last year, a year and a half ago. Get in touch with so-and-so whom I'm CCing, and we'll set a date to talk. Nothing happened. I wrote to him again, and it was as if he had been body snatched. <laughs> because, because in, in I, you know, on the other hand, I get it, but this has been the case like throughout throughout the last 16 years when I've been doing this because it's not in everybody's interest. Everybody, everybody, you know, in New York and certainly here in Buffalo too, everybody has their piece of turf, mm -hmm. their piece of real estate, their piece, their place in the business where they have worked and worked and worked all the time. The financial pie is what the financial pie is. They're going to have some, is this fellow who's going to run the World Trade Center site, regardless of the idea, going to have, you know, an upstart person like me, regardless of all the stories I've told you, like, are they going to like all of a sudden decide they're going to have the American National Theater there? But he just elected not to have any further conversation with me after that. We, we, we've never clearly he spoke day. to somebody else about this. It sounded like a decent idea to him. But then somebody else said, well, you know, there's if you do that, then you have this. And then this piece of the pie goes elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So you got the electronic brush off, basically. And, and, and it's happened before. It's happened before with the, you know, with various organizations, TCG, Theater Communications Group, you know, without naming names, but people who were initially really supportive of the idea. And then when they were in positions that they could actually do something, they, they've chosen not to because of conversations that they've had. I don't, yeah. I, I, I mean, again, the only thing I can attribute it to is, is that people have worked really hard to get where they are and to establish the things that they've established. And, and somehow the, the idea that all the benefits that, that you, that when we first started talking, that you, that you outlined, that you uh, enumerated, that they, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't stand up against whatever other interests that they have. Yeah, that's, it's not a big enough reason uh, in New York City's interests <clears throat> or the world or now the Freedom Tower or whatever, uh, it's not a, a big enough reason because the benefits really are not for them. Uh, the benefits that I enumerated were for this theater and, and studio arena and yes. so on. Yeah. So there just wasn't enough in it. And as you said, had there been a Meryl Streep or a Kevin Klein or somebody with a strong enough, a big enough voice, they may have followed, but... You were just not quite yeah, I, I, I'm powerful that, enough. Yeah, to, to you know, swim. money, money, and fame uh, uh, talk. They have, you know, they have their perks. Yeah, and uh, so I'm still hope. I'm still. I'm. I'm we we actually did our, and I, I know we have to wrap soon, but we we actually ended up 
just last uh, fall present being uh, one of the presenters of a play at the Berkshire Theatre Festival that the Berkshire Theatre Festival presented in association with the American National Theatre, which mm-hmm. was a lovely a play that I'd seen in San Diego many, many years ago that doesn't qualify as a new play, but it's a play that I loved and I kept trying to shop around and finally they did it at the Berkshire yeah. Theatre Festival. But also, you know, uh, uh, Scott and I are going to speak with, uh, we've just been in touch with him the last couple of days, you know, uh, just with Michael Murphy, Mike Murphy uh, for at, the, for Shays, uh, at Shays. Yeah. and I had spoken to Tony Conti when uh, uh, Scott had uh, had my play read at the Arcade that same weekend. I met with Tony Conti, and I pitched him the idea of the American National Theater then in Buffalo. And so I, I've contacted Michael Murphy, and 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 knowing that there are plans afoot and things of trying what's going to take at seven ten at the old Studio Arena mm-hmm. building, and. I'm gonna. M- Michael's agreed to meet with me, and I've asked Scott to come. And I don't. Know, I want to talk to him about the grand scheme, the concept, yeah, and also possibly, you know, beginning on a smaller scale at seven ten, and maybe some of the smaller theaters here on Main Street to have a, a summer festival mm-hmm. that would uh, that would build more, would, would start us more slowly. Um, but, but partly it's, uh, you know, coming back to Buffalo and um, but even even, you know, eight, nine years ago when things weren't as rosy here, I still thought it, w- it was a, a, a good idea as as the Oregon Shakespeare Theater has taken off in Ashland, Oregon, which is kind of not quite in the middle of nowhere, but in southern Oregon. Sure. And uh, and also Spoleto in South Carolina and Charleston, the festival there and Edinburgh and London and um uh, but also building too on and the facilities that are here now in Buffalo, the, the hotels that are here now, uh, the fantastic restaurants. The downtown is so vibrant. You even have a, a you walk the streets at eleven o'clock when nobody's there. It just has a different feel than it yes, did it in nineteen ninety three when I was here at Studio Arena. And also, I understand that Shays is one of the m- biggest subscription based uh, huge theaters in the United States. Everybody wants to come here. All the all the touring companies come here. Right. Mean Girls started out here. They they oh, started Mean Girls started their tour, I should say their yes. their national tour. They they of course started in New York City. Yeah. But they when they went to do a national tour, their first tour spent I, I believe two or three weeks, maybe even a month here. Rehearsing? Rehearsing uh-huh. and then they, they premiered it here at Shays. Before they and this is where they started, and, and they're going to do it again with another show this year. I, I would like to say I'm going to keep it a secret, but I, I don't remember what it was. But it will <laughs> be announced that that there's somebody else coming in to do their first national tour. Sure, as as the starting point. And and two, and, the, and then I'll, the last thing I'll say, you know, so that and also where where Shays draws from from Canada and with the Shaw Festival across the river, you know, up in Niagara and. Uh, Niagara Peninsula there and uh, Stratford and uh, we'll see. I mean, they're crazy. Well, I'm sure when Hamilton was here, we were drawing from from Canada. We were drawing from Detroit. We're drawing from Erie. We're drawing from Cleveland, Rochester. Yes. Uh, You know, it's first of all, it's a it's a short trip from any of those places. Yes. And second of all, you're paying one third of what you would pay for a Broadway ticket. Yes. It's 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 amazing. Yeah. And uh, of course, Shays is you know holds a million people. Yes, and that that helps it. Uh, and also, I, I it could be you know if it becomes if Buffalo becomes that kind of a destination point, cultural uh, destination point, I, and theatrical uh, same. It it from what I've seen in Buffalo theater here, just with the, again with the people who are here, it's just my experience here at Road Less Traveled is just. I, I hope too that it will draw attention to the. Uh, 
to the local theater community that mm-hmm. it's here, you know, who actually produce as opposed to present. All right, we got to get Sean out of here. Number one, because he's got another appointment at two, and number two, because it's freaking freezing in here. It is cold. My I'm hands. A hat. <laughs> you're wearing a hat. <laughs> I, sh- I feel up. like I should be wearing gloves. <laughs> yeah. You know, when we got here about an hour and a half ago, he said, hey, "We should turn the heat up." Nah, we don't need it. <laughs> We're hardy. We're men. We <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to heat. We'll wrap this up. We, so we'll just build too. a fu- campfire. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, the, the name of this podcast is Off Road. Let me take you off road and tell me if you were off the road of theater, where would you? What would you be doing? And you had no I answer. I had the for same this. pause for that as I had. Uh, <laughs> you know, I honestly don't know. Well, you mentioned certain... something about writing songs. Yeah, I mean, I do write songs, and I've written a script, and I have a you know, and I'm also written half of a film that takes place in Florida in the early '70s and George Clooney and all this stuff. Uh, but uh, writing in general, yeah, writing in general, um, something creative, something creative. I might be, you know, I might be producing. I, I, you know, when things got really, if gotten really slow in New York in the '90s, I remember one time in particular. I thought, oh, all right, well, I have a degree in journalism and I know what it's like to be on camera. Maybe I'll try to go back to Rochester or Buffalo and try and be in television mm-hmm. news or something. You know, because well, I'm that's very interested in the news. Uh, and I do write. Well, and not just fiction, but you know, generally, a lot of people. There's a lot of uh, people here in Buffalo who are just really good writers too, just like emails and letters and stuff. Uh, but anyway, so I, I might be doing that. Uh, I definitely, were I not an actor, I would not be living in New York because I just, uh, as much as I like to visit, I'm not. Uh, uh, you know, the other thing too is you know this thing about going back to Buffalo in the '90s. Now that I come back here. I was going to say this last night when when Scott gave me the award. It was one of the things, that, my list of things I could say. It's like, had I come back in the 90s and slogged through with uh, with you and with other people who, you know, who have day jobs, who are so talented, well, you know, perhaps I'd be, you know, I don't know, teaching or something or having a day job and then, and then end up hopefully working here uh, in Buffalo as a, as an actor I'm just I'm just so uh, I wish I could see more theater while I was while I was here but I'm just really impressed by everybody so Sean Cullen you gotta get out of here Peter <laughs> thank you I'll call you tomorrow we'll do another one yeah we'll try <laughs> because it. if this one gets I'm, screwed up I'm here till February 9th so we can do one a day <laughs> <laughs> one a day yikes alright thanks very much Sean for hanging out with me on Off Road thanks for you've been great thank you so thank much Well, that was a heck of a lot of fun. And you probably noticed that Sean mistakenly thought that Mockingbird was associated with Scott in some way, and of course it wasn't. It was at the Cavanoke, and I didn't stop to correct him, but it was a blunder. But as you know, it certainly wasn't the first blunder that has taken place on this podcast. But Sean Cullen, (laughs) what a patient man to put up with me for all of that time. And he did. And I thought the the second interview went even better than the first one. More information came out, stuff that I never heard before. It was just a, a really nice time with Sean Cullen. And if you haven't seen him in the Antipodes over at the Road Less Traveled Theater at 456 Main Street, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I just had a blast at that show. It is bizarre. It is hilarious. 
it will have you walking out of the theater just talking and conversing about what you just saw, and, and, and you'll have a great time. Trust me on this. And don't forget the free valet parking. Just drive right up to the Hilton Garden Inn, show them your proof of purchase of your ticket or whatever, and uh, free valet parking right across the street. You can't beat it. And by the way, you can email me if you want. RLTPoffroad at gmail is the account if you'd like to suggest someone or if you'd like to suggest that I find another line of work. Otherwise, I'll be back here in one week with my interview with Adam Ziglis here on Off-Road, a podcast for Road Less Traveled Productions. <laughs> <laughs>